Welcome to Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payal Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payal lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org. In this teaching, Jetsama Akon Lamo explains clearly what it means to be a Buddhist and take refuge in the Three Jewels, and contrasts that with how we live our worldly lives. It's decision time. Who are you? How many of you, I wonder, feel that you have absorbed enough of the teachings over the years to have a good enough idea of the pointing out instructions that Lord Buddha and many teachers over time have given us. How many of us, I wonder, have really taken the time to contemplate the teachings in such a way that they really become part of our inner gyroscope? How many of us have taken to heart teachings that were given generously and kindly over the years in order to help us see our way through? I think about in the beginning, how many times did I teach that life is like going through a dark room with lots of furniture? And of course you have free will. Lucky you. You can choose to go through that room in the darkness with all the furniture right there. Taking your chances. And of course we know what happens if you are operating in perfect darkness with lots of of furniture in your room or obstacles, which we all have, or past karma ripening, which we all have, or being in samsara, which we all have. How many of us have even taken that first step, I wonder, to make that decision to say, I will not go through this room in darkness. I will not go through this life in darkness. Why would someone teach you that? Why would someone say that life is like a dark room And there are so many furnitures and so many things that without being able to see or negotiate or understand without any wisdom, without a map, without any instruction, you're likely to have difficulty. Why why one's teacher would teach that is because it's true. Uh, This is not a made-up agenda. These are the teachings of the Buddhas and the the Bodhisattvas and the Gurus throughout time. We have this incredible stubbornness, though. A terrible inner stubbornness. That for some reason doesn't want to take that teaching to heart. For some reason, we want to risk it. 
having the idea that we are strong or that it will work out or that maybe the teaching wasn't true or perhaps because we actually didn't take it to heart or never even learned it in the first place. I don't know what the reason is, but we still have this kind of stubbornness that says to us, you can do it, kid, find your own way. Well, nobody's arguing that we can do it. But find your own way, you will not. Not across the ocean of samsara. Will you make it through that uh, room in the dark, not knowing what's in there? Not bloody likely, is it? Well, it is bloody likely, you think about that. (laughs) You'll probably get awfully bloody doing it. Since time out of mind, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas have been coming to us, not through their own need to experience or to come for fun or to come for torture or whatever reason Buddhas and Bodhisattvas appear in the world, they come for us. And they come to give us these teachings. And yet we are somehow so continuing in our delusion and habitual in this stubborn clinging to the idea that my ego has the answers. We still feel that way after all these years. That is the teaching that is taught to you out of kindness, not out of a wish to push you around. Uh, if one cannot take at face value a teaching of that merit that you must rely on the guidance of your root guru that you must rely on the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha have we have we somehow not put out the effort that it takes to come to terms with such a powerful truth as that. It reminds me of alcoholism. It reminds me of the place where you say, I can control my drinking. It reminds me of the place where you say, I'm really on top of this. It hasn't got me. Samsara hasn't got me somehow. Or the idea that maybe the Buddha was lying. Or maybe he had his own agenda. Or maybe Guru Rinpoche. Maybe he was just a phony. Maybe he just had, was on some sort of crazy power trip. Why would somebody warn us of the suffering of samsara, of the danger of samsara? Because the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas 
are different than ordinary beings. They are different in one way. They have awakened. That's the main difference. Awakened to where the delusional phenomena of samsara is simply that. Its dreamlike state is understood. Its seduction is also understood. To be human is to know that. But we have to decide once and for all who is your guru? Let me ask you another question. How much time have you spent studying, reasoning out any of the teachings you received so far? The Buddha's teachings. Not that I'm the Buddha. But my teachers have been saying that all this time I've been teaching Dharma. And so I'm not making this up. All these years. How much time do we spend understanding the quality, the fabric, the substance of the Buddhist teachings so that we can make good decisions? Have we reasoned things out for ourselves? Do we follow the Buddha's logic? If we don't follow the Buddha's logic, that cause and effect arise interdependently and at the same moment, if we don't follow that logic, that what we are experiencing now is our own karma, if we have not taken that teaching to heart, then are we Buddhist? I wonder. How much time do you spend mixing your mind like milk with water, mixing with the stream of your beloved teacher? Maybe it's not me. I'm not that impressive. How much time do you spend mixing your mind stream with the nectar of the teaching? How much time have you spent in courageous determination, paring the mind down the way one works the wood of one's craft or the metal of one's craft. How, how often have we made solid and good and sensible plans for our death? How many of us have made plans and can count on the plans we've made for our next life.
Isn't it funny that after all this time, we do relatively little, and some of us nothing, to add to our virtue. We don't plan for the next life. We act like people that don't believe that rebirth will occur immediately. And it will. We act like people who think there is no a, a relationship between cause and effect. Everything that we do is for satisfaction in this life. And we still dance with it. We still try to control it. How much time a day do we spend beseeching the guru to never abandon us? How much time each day do we spend in longing for the nectar of bodhicitta? How much time every day do we spend longing for liberation? Compare that to the time that we spend hanging out with our own minds. Like a drunk at a bar convincing himself that the next one won't hurt. Opening the cans, the pop another one, pop another one. Maybe this one will be the magic one. Or maybe this one. Pop another one. Maybe this will be the one that there is no result for. A freebie. Only a true bona fide alcoholic or somebody who is awake enough to know they are a true bona fide samsara-holic understands the depth and depravity of the thinking that I'm describing. That kind of thinking tells me one thing and one thing only. One has not become a Buddhist. You might think you are, you might wear the right clothes, but you ain't there yet. Because you have made samsara your guru, because you have made fear your guru, because you have made doubt your guru, because you have made the noise in your head your guru. Because of these and many other things, we're still suffering. And we're so deluded that we still seek answers in samsara. You know that's the definition of insanity? To re repeat behavior again and again achieving the same result. By this time, we should have made decisions like that. But I see you listening to your heads. I see you making up your own religion in your minds. I mean, 
Sure, maybe it looks like Buddhism, but it's not. Because if it were the teachings of the great guru of gurus, Padmasambhava, it would say to you that you are drunk, that you are mistaken, that the things you hold on to in samsara will only betray you. The very things that you are most afraid of will come back to harm you. Guru Rinpoche would have said to you, each and every one of you have the seed of Buddhahood, but without ripening that seed, it will never manifest. Without taking the time, without taking this lifetime to hone one's skills, to develop the kind of discipline and, and good mind, relaxed, calm mind, this will never happen under the conditions that we are thinking now. Guru Rinpoche's teachings have said that we should rely on our root guru. And woe unto us if we make up something different. That's a different religion. Our root guru represents for us the very nature of our mind. Not only represents, but in fact is the very door of liberation. And for most of you, if not all, that's your chance. There's one door to liberation, and that's one's root guru. And if one cannot align one's own heart, body, speech, and mind with the milk or the nectar of the guru, then something else is going on entirely. Because this is what our faith is. This is what Vajrayana is about. It is about quick liberation. Nobody said easy. Quick liberation. By virtue of the karma and the relationship between oneself and one's guru, which one cultivates, the work is hard. Because our own minds want to remain drunk. We like the stimulation. We like the 30-minute stories. We like to control the endings. But that's delusional. Nobody controls the ending. No matter how healthy you are, you could die tomorrow. Or your root guru could die tomorrow. Ego, health, control has nothing to do with it. Your karma is ripening right now. And that's your experience. That is your experience. It's yours. 
And should it happen that the path is difficult, long, difficult, takes a lot of work, makes us nuts sometimes, well, that's the very time that Guru Rinpoche reminds us that we are hanging by one string over falling into the depths of samsara. And that string is the connection that we have with our teachers. Ignore that string or cut it at your peril. I would not want to be lost in samsara. I would not want to be unknowing of what my next rebirth will be and what I'll have to endure because I followed the wrong path. You've been given a gift that you have not even opened yet without measure. Um, I would say in this lifetime you haven't earned it. And so you might think that by that you can accept it freely and you can waste it. But I say to you that if we are together and if we speak and if we love one another, then this is the result of many, many efforts in the past. And our job is to, like an, instead of acting like an idiot farmer who's plowing the ground for nothing, rocks and dirt, maybe I can plant a bean here, a little corn, when underneath there is a diamond field, a mine of gold. We're like poor, starving, idiot farmers scraping around when the jewels are ours. Why do you want to be beggars? You have been invited to the feast of the Buddhas. Why would you put your fear on a throne? Why would you put your confusion on a throne? And most of all, why in the world would you take your flawed, crippled ego and put it on the throne. But we do it, day in and day out. We think that somehow if we talk about Buddhism and we look Buddhist and we act Buddhist that somehow the cards won't count and it'll be fine, you know? It'll, it'll be fine, I'll work out in the end. And I beg to differ. You know how it works out in the end? You die. And you take rebirth according to what you have accomplished in this lifetime. So, what are you going to put your money on? Insanity? Some of you, I think, are beginning to get renunciation. And then it means you stop making up your own bullshit. And you listen. Some of us are not so young and stupid anymore. Learning the hard way is tough. But we're good at it.
The question is, though, are we learning Dharma? Or are we learning to dig ourselves into samsara deeper and deeper? And that's the question. Who are you? Is being busy your guru? Good luck. Good luck. Is being fearful your guru? Is is keeping your heart in a place where it doesn't have to mingle with the cry that I hear from samsara that says, help me now. Help me. You have to ask yourself, because this is the time, who am I? How many people will suffer at my hand? How many people will slip through my fingers that I did not offer Dharma? These are the questions that you have to ask yourself. You get what you pay for. That rule is as good in Dharma as it is anywhere else. And if you don't do the work, the work does you. Each of us have karma, and we will experience it. Karma is exacting. There's no way out of it. Unless we rely completely and utterly upon the teachings and our teachers as the door of liberation. To delude yourself in thinking that you are practicing or that you are Buddhist or that your life has any meaning whatsoever. Unless you are walking through the door of liberation is a waste of time. My time and yours. So I'm asking you, won't you please let go of your habitual tendencies? Won't you please let the precious nectar of the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas enter your heart and heal you? Won't you please respond in kind to the cries of sentient beings. Because if you are not helping them onto the path of Dharma, not your path, not your makeup stuff, you can't have a bunch of people that you sit there and talk Dharma about to and think you've done your job. Unfortunately, you haven't practiced that well and you're not the Buddha yet. And you're not awake. And so when you talk about Dharma, it's just you talking about Dharma. People learn by your practice. They don't learn by your ego talking about Dharma and saying, I'm so great, I have some Dharma. They learn by watching your humility, your qualities, 
your practice? What is your practice? And how do you change week by week, month by month? That's what people learn. That's when people can learn by your example. But if you yourself are lost in samsara, you have nothing for anybody. <coughs> nothing. Your little gifts that you give, when you, when you say, here's a little dharma, I know a little dharma, try that, I know a little dharma, try that, it's nothing. It's a little kabuki dance. You know, you're playing your little ego thing, and they're playing the little ego thing, and everybody's doing their little ego thing. Real dharma is not like that. Real dharma is a method. It is method that must be practiced every day. If you do not rely 100% upon your guru, then you are not practicing that path. Relying on the teachings, relying on the wisdom, and most of all, relying on the compassion. Our teachers understand our minds without being inside of them. Did you know that? We can look, the teachers can look in a certain way, and we can see what you think you're hiding. In fact, we see it so well that what you're hiding we find is running your life. It's in charge. Whatever it is you're doing in your mind is in charge. And I'll tell you that the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas love you. You know, in the East... Um, they talk more about the bodhicitta, and it sounds very intellectual. Talk about compassion, that sounds good. We talk about um, respect and devotion. These are all good things. But being a female, I can tell you this. I know this from my own experience. You are loved, each and every one of you. Your egos and your stupid stuff... Ah, well, that's not the part we love the best. <laughs> we can be patient with that. But we see it killing you. It is the very cause of death, clinging to life. We see you scratching on top of that dirty field, and we see the diamonds. And those diamonds are calling to you. Go deeper. Go deeper. You can't see me, but I'm here. And you can't see me because you're scratching. Like beggars under the table of a great feast. We pick up a little crumb, we think, oh, I got a crumb. While the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas are saying to us, come to this feast, eat everything, have enough for your whole life, take it all, 
Take me. I'll give you everything. And yet, like little, like beggars, we just, a little piece, and we're so proud. Show it to everybody. Got this little piece. And that's the nature of human beings. Your teachers understand. There's no question of forgiveness. It's not like that. There's no question of guilt. There's no question at all, actually. It's simple. The nectar is here. And because your teacher has been recognized as the consort of Guru Rinpoche, we're speaking of the nectar of immortality. That's the offering. The feast is here. But you have to want to eat and you have to be willing to chew. And the love and the respect is real. I don't know of any teacher that purposefully gives a student a hard lesson that is so unbearable that they cannot bear it. The teachers hold us as close as they can. Like with a, a bond, a bond that is a, a tether of love. But at the end of that tether of love, if we are not looking to our root gurus with faith and with good mind and proper thinking, proper view, then we will never receive the blessing. It will never come. And instead what happens is we dance at the end of that tether. And that's what I see. From my heart I tell you this. You're dancing at the end of a tether of love Absolutely ensuring that you will never, never come to the feast. It's decision time. You have to decide who's on the throne. Your ego, your fear, your idiot mind, selfishness. Delusional thinking, whatever's on the throne, you've got to fix it. No one else can fix it but you. And no one else can come to this table and eat with me. This beautiful feast 
but you. He who I love beyond all measure lives in you, my teacher. And you betray him every moment. You do not seat him on your throne. He is Guru Rinpoche, teacher of teachers, Buddha of Buddhas. And I tell you this because I have mixed my mind with his. You are wandering in samsara, my darlings, and I'm asking you, please come back. Please practice the teachings. Please abandon the world. You will do so soon enough. Soon enough we will leave this world. And then there will be no choices, only results. I don't think there's anybody more qualified than me. Forgive me. To tell you that it's not easy to be a true disciple. That it's not easy to mix one's mind with the mind of the guru. It's not easy to learn. But I can tell you, and nobody's more qualified to tell you this, that when you give up, you win. When you let go, you have it all. And when you stop wiggling, the tether of love binds you so tight there's nothing else please don't forget the Buddha the Dharma and the Sangha and please invite the Guru to be seated upon the throne of your heart I can tell you that there's bliss and happiness in doing so And I can tell you that Samsara will always, always be the whore she is and will continue to let you down. So that's my teaching for this evening. And I'm really thrilled that I had the opportunity to give it to you. Thank you for listening.
This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org.